0: good evening and welcome once again to Wednesday night Bible study we are up to Isaiah chapter 53 a very well-known scripture for Christians and a very controversial scripture for Jews Uh, but we're gonna go through it line by line and I think it will become very clear what Isaiah 53 is all about let's open with a word of prayer and then get into the study and then at the end of the study I do have my colleagues uh, pastor Bill Watson and pastor Murray Palmateer Who are going to join me for some more Q&A so again if you have questions through this lesson and any of the previous lessons that we've covered on Isaiah please feel free to raise them and that's how we learn by just line by line and here a little there a little and uh, not afraid to ask the difficult questions and seek answers to them Uh, let's open with a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father we pause before you to acknowledge you as our great God we are in awe of you Father and just how you have planned this redemption of israel and all of mankind and we just praise you for it father we praise you for our part in it and we ask you to bless our study now father as we seek to understand the ancient prophets and through them to understand your will and our place in it we praise you lord and we thank you we ask this blessing in no other name but the mighty name of our lord our savior jesus christ amen So we are up to isaiah chapter 53 Uh, let's go there and uh, be very very clear as we go through this uh, line by line who isaiah was talking about when we come to this uh, scripture around the suffering servant so isaiah chapter 53 uh, last year last week we were in chapter 52 and we didn't quite finish so we'll pick up where we left off but just before there i want to go back to verse 7 It's such a critical verse, it's the verse that we open our study with every evening. And it says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that brings good tidings. And it is singular. This is speaking of the suffering servant, who we know to be Jesus Christ, and his feet were up and down the mountains of Israel, bringing the good news to Israel, that publishes peace, that brings good tidings of good, that publishes salvation, That says unto zion specifically unto zion your god reigns so again we see that there's going to be great controversy and a false god is going to be reigning and and we're going to encourage zion through the words of our lord that their god is the true god the god of abraham isaac and jacob is the true god the god the, the creator and the true god for all eternity Now, I just wanted to highlight, uh, last time I emphasized uh, the good news and and, uh, that it was aimed at Zion, but I wanted to just emphasize this week specifically the feet. We did cover this scripture that Paul quoted Isaiah in Romans 10, where he says, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent so so they need to hear with a preacher but the preacher needs to be sent as it is written and now he quotes isaiah how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and and now uh, paul pluralizes it he's quoting isaiah isaiah spoke in the singular of the suffering servant but in quoting isaiah Paul speaks in the plural. And so very clearly what we see here is the church is the body of Christ. And so the work that Christ began, and and Luke spoke of that in the gospel according to Luke, he then continued that work in Acts. And, and, And those Acts of the Apostles are the Acts of the same Holy Spirit that inspired Christ when he was on earth. So how beautiful are the feet of them, that is the body of Christ now, those that in the body are selected for this work of preaching the gospel. How beautiful are the feet of them, and the emphasis now is again on the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. So again, it's very clear that the church is, is Christ. We are hidden in Christ. We are the body of Christ and we are fulfilling the work of the suffering servant. Now, I just wanted to relate this, and I didn't do this last week, so this is what I wanted to call out this week, is in Acts, the, the Acts of the Holy Spirit, and the Acts of the Apostles, uh, with the Holy Spirit in, through the Apostles, we're here in chapter 4 it says, And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all, Neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the prices of the things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet. And that's what I wanted to highlight this week uh, in Acts, is this is an acknowledgement of how beautiful are the feet of them that bring the, the, the glad tidings. And so here there was this acknowledgement that the apostles were proclaiming the good news and so they sold what they had and they gathered together and they laid it at the apostles feet for distribution and for them to figure out how to use this these resources in order to advance the gospel and also to look after the believers and so they laid them down at the apostles feet and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need and of course there are those that have the need to preach the gospel and jose who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, or Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of Consolation, a Levite, and of the country of Cyprus, having land sold it, and brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. And so there is this acknowledgement of the apostles' feet, and I do want to say that uh, there are many Uh, brethren that are very supportive of our ministry and in fact some of you have even sent me money directly in my name and certainly we appreciate your support and we do need your support but we are not in this for personal gain and so if you are uh, moved by the Spirit to support us you can certainly support us by uh, sending your uh, donations to CGI Canada and so please uh, feel free to send your donations to cgi canada the church of god international canada PO box 32009 and that's rpo northland london ontario and that's in canada n5v 5k4 and we certainly do appreciate your support and we need your support and the more we resources we have the better job we can do but we are certainly a team of ministers that are working here and and Many of us are tent makers. We have our own businesses, we have our own jobs, and uh, we do what we can uh, because this is a priority uh, for us uh, and for you, and, and we're one body, but we all have different parts. And this acknowledgement that we do have different parts, and so certainly we do appreciate your support and we appreciate your financial support uh, to the extent that you feel moved uh, to, to support us. Um, and so, so I just wanted to highlight there how the apostles, plural, were fulfilling the role of the suffering servant and so this work this mysterious work that the servant came to do he is continuing until his return through the body of Christ through his body and there are different members in the body and we all have different parts and collectively we do this great work of Christ and so let's go back to Isaiah 52 and we finished at verse 12 and that's a good place to finish because really, you know, they have the chapter break uh, for chapter 53. But the prophecy really begins of the, of the suffering servant really begins here in chapter 52 and verse 13, where God says, or Isaiah is inspired to say, behold, my servant. And the Jews will look at this and say, oh, that's Israel. That's that's Judah. Uh, this is the whole nation. This, these are the people of God. But God is very clear. This is a singular person. This is a a specific person that is going to suffer on behalf of the nation and so here he says behold my servant shall deal prudently and then he says he shall be exalted and extolled and be very high so this servant who's going to come to earth and suffer is going to be exalted and he's going to be very high and this should put us in mind of john Three sixteen. in fact most people know john three sixteen, but they don't know the verses that come immediately before it and immediately before it we see this that as moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness so the same way that moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness even so must the son of man be lifted up and that is to be exalted so this serpent and this is uh, from the book of numbers where the people were in rebellion and these fiery serpents were stinging them. And and the stings were so poisonous uh, that the people were dying and dying, uh, excruciating deaths. Uh, But Moses was then told to put this uh, an image of this serpent on, on a stick and to lift it up. And if the people would look at the serpent and acknowledge that it is their sin that caused this, then they would be saved their lives would be spared, they would not die. And here Christ says that in the same way that Moses lifted up or exalted the serpent in the wilderness, in the same way, must the son of man be exalted. That whosoever believes in him should not perish. In other words, the same way that they had to believe God and believe his promise with the serpent so that they wouldn't perish, in the same way, they have to now believe when the Son of Man is lifted up in the same way that they have to look and believe, we caused that. It, this is our fault. We, we are the cause of this. And then when they acknowledge and believe that this is the, the, the Messiah who will bear their sins, bear our sins, that we would look and acknowledge that this is how we would not perish, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life for in this way, so, you know, for God so loved the world. When people just take this verse by itself, and I did do an Armor of God program specifically on this, and we encourage you to go to CGI digital network and, and look for the Armor of God uh, broadcast on John 3.16, that people will just break in here and quote John 3.16 and use this word in the Greek, it's hutos, uh, translated so in English, to, to mean orders of magnitude. For God so loved, the, he loved the world so, God is just so much in love with the world that this is why he gave his son. But in context, he's saying in this way, in this way, God loved the world. There's a specific way that God has loved the world. And he has loved the world by coming to redeem his people, Israel. And we go all the way back to Exodus 19 to see that these people, his people, his covenant people, have been called and, and set apart and to be holy, to be the priest class, to be the nation of priests, the kingdom of priests, that the rest of the world could, can come to in order to come to know God. And so this is what God is doing. He's redeeming Israel so that Israel can be in this functional role of helping him to redeem the rest of mankind. So yes, God did come f- to save mankind but there's an order of, there's an order of, uh, operations. And there's a process that he's following and he's very faithful to this process. And today Gentiles are being grafted in, into Israel, that God has no relationship with Gentiles. There is no covenant. I, I challenge anybody to find a covenant in the Bible from Abraham from Genesis 12 where God covenants with Gentiles. He does not. He covenants with Abraham, with Isaac, with Israel, and today he has opened this window to the Gentile nations, for us to be grafted in to Israel, so that he now is not a Jew who is one outwardly, but one inwardly, and we are grafted in, and and are, are part of the commonwealth of Israel, because God is not unfaithful, and God does not have relations with another woman, he is faithful to Israel, he is married to Israel. And of all the families of the of the earth only he only knows israel and so there's a way that god has loved the world and this is for in this way god loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish again we go back to numbers it's the same uh, there's an, an analogy that christ is drawing here he should not perish but have everlasting life back to isaiah so in addition now he says, My servant shall deal prudently, he shall be exalted and extolled, and be very high. And then he says, as many were astonished at you, his visage or his face was so marred more than any man. This is this is how this is why we come to the suffering servant, that he is going to come to earth. And this is amazing. Isaiah writes this some eight hundred years before Jesus Christ came to earth. And when Jesus Christ came to earth, he fulfilled this perfectly. And this is what the Jewish nation or the, the Jews, now we ask them to be honest and, and read the scriptures carefully and don't be deceitful. And, and the, the problem with our, with our Jewish brothers is, is the problem of arrogance. Hey, we're the special people. We are so special. We are here to help, the, to, to save the Gentiles. And so there's no problem with us. Uh, No, there's a big problem with you, a huge problem with you, and it's called treachery. It's called sinfulness. And it's not me calling you treacherous. It's not me calling you sinful. It's the Bible. It's your Bible. Open your Bible and read it, and God calls you traitors. God calls you wicked. God calls you uh, just despicable. But he also calls you his people. And he has sent this servant to redeem you. That he is going to restore you. And that's, what, that's the story of the Bible. If we learn to read the Bible properly, this is the story of the Bible. That God's people need redemption. That they are on a track to destruction. And this servant comes to earth to take their sin upon him. That the crucifixion that he suffers and all of this humiliation that he suffers, this rightfully belongs to his people Israel. But he comes and he lives by the word of God perfectly so that he can now rightfully belong in the land, that he can rightfully claim the land because Israel cannot claim the land. According to the covenant agreement, they must be exiled and they must be subjugated and they must be cursed. That's the law, that's the covenant. But he comes now as the representative of Israel and lives perfectly according to the law so that he can rightfully claim all the promises for the from the covenant. but instead of taking these promises for himself, he instead takes all of the curses that belong to Israel upon himself. that now if Israel looks to him and, and accepts him as her savior, she can now legally and rightfully and within the covenant redeem uh, claim the promises and go into the land. And so this is the purpose. And this is what Judah completely missed. That yes, the Messiah was coming, but it's not like the first exodus where they went into slavery through no fault of their own. They were just breeding very uh, successfully. And the Pharaoh looked at this and was very concerned and put them into slavery. And so God just went and redeemed them. But the slavery that they're in now and will be going into is through their own fault. It is because of their sinfulness. And so God can't just come and now just redeem them and bring them into the promised land when this is what, according to the covenant, they deserve. And so this is what they missed and they're looking for this mighty Messiah to come and save them, but they're not looking at their sinfulness and they're not looking at their need for a savior. And that's what Isaiah is showing us here, that the savior is coming to live perfectly by the law and and solve this conundrum that God has that he needs to and wants to save his people, but he would violate his word if he does that so now through the work of the suffering servant he can keep his word and at the same time redeem israel in this second exodus so he says here as many were astonished at you his face was so marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men and some 800 years later we now read in matthew then did they spit in his face and buffeted him They really struck him and beat him in his face. And others smote him with the palms of their hands. And again in Matthew, And when they had plaited a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head, and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him, and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit upon him, and took the reed, and smote him on the head. This is the perfect fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecies some 800 years earlier. Continuing in Isaiah 52:15, so, so shall he sprinkle many nations. The kings shall shut their mouths at him for that which had not been told them shall they see and that which they had not heard shall they consider. So it says he shall sprinkle many nations. And this is a callback now to Leviticus. And many of us, we will think of uh, Isaiah 53 from a Passover perspective, which is right and which is appropriate. That when we, at at Passover, we read Isaiah 53 and we see what our Lord suffered so that he can be our personal savior and we can be grafted into Israel and we can have this uh, redeemer. But in addition to thinking it, through the lens of passover we should also think it through the lens of atonement that it's not just the personal salvation that we have in christ that there's also an at one coming back into oneness with the nation and so once a year the high priest would go into the holy of holies for forgiveness of the nation and the whole nation was on edge waiting for the high priest to come out successfully so that they could see that the whole nation was forgiven and so we also need to read Isaiah 53 through this lens of God coming at, becoming at one with his people and of course we know that atonement precedes the millennium and so God needs to be at one with Israel before we go into the millennium because during the millennium all the Gentile peoples need to come to Jerusalem with the kingdom of priests facilitating the worship. And we read about this in Zechariah 14 and in other places like Isaiah 2 and in Micah, uh, Micah 4. But it's throughout the scriptures uh, that there, are, there is a human class of people called Israel. And there's a spiritual class of people, born uh, the, the first fruits born into the kingdom of God, overseeing this whole operation as the teachers of the human beings on earth. But here in Leviticus 16, the atonement chapter, then shall he kill the goat of the sin offering, that is for the people, this is for Israel, and bring his blood within the veil. So this is for Israel, and he shall bring his blood within the veil and do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bullock and sprinkle it upon the mercy seat so this was the work of the high priest <clears throat> to take the blood of the of the goat and sprinkle it upon the mercy seat and before the mercy seat and he shall make an atonement for the holy place this is the atonement he shall make an atonement for the holy place why because of the uncleanness of the children of israel and because of their transgressions in all their sins and so again because of the arrogance of these people they don't want to admit that they are unclean and that they have need of a redeemer but the scripture is very clear the people are unclean and they need a redeemer and that's why the servant came to earth in order to redeem them and, and to sacrifice himself for them so that god's hands are not tied so that god can legally according to the covenant redeem his people and they needed to be someone who can live by the law of god by the covenant of god so that god can rightfully uh, give these promises to israel so it's because of the uncleanness of the children of israel and because of their transgressions in all their sins and so shall he do for the tabernacle of the congregation that remains among them in the midst of their uncleanness so this is how we can now go into the millennium and god will have a people israel in jerusalem in zion facilitating his his worship and his relationship with the rest of mankind but he can only do this because of the work of the suffering servant says here back to isaiah 15 so in addition to sprinkling it said here so shall he sprinkle many nations he says the kings shall shut their mouths at him for that which had not been told them shall they see and that which they had not heard shall they consider. So these powerful kings of the earth are going to be stopped in their tracks and they're going to realize really how powerless they are. And this suffering servant is going to be preached. They're going to understand the work of this suffering servant. And, and in fact, Paul quotes this in Romans 10, when we, we looked at this earlier, but let's continue. And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them, that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things, he says, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. So there's somebody out there preaching the gospel, but they haven't all obeyed. Some have, but not all. But he, and he explains why. He says, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So there is a report. The suffering servant comes into earth and there are those jews that acknowledge who he is and they begin to publish this but very few believe and so isaiah 800 years earlier prophesies the report would not be believed but isaiah says lord who has believed our report so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of god so somebody is publishing the report but a few are believing it But those that believe it it comes by hearing somebody's preaching somebody's declaring they're hearing and they're coming to faith so he says here so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of god we have to be true to the word of god and preach what the word of god says but i say have they not heard have they not heard is this the problem that maybe we didn't preach this the 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 message didn't get out but I say, have they not heard? Yes, verily. Their sound went into all the earth. So this was published. God, Christ said, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and unto the ends of the world. And so this has been done faithfully. So I And, and remember, um, the curse was that God's people would be scattered to the four corners of the earth. So the gospel is going to the four corners of the earth uh, as part of this mysterious work that God is doing to redeem his people but I say haven't they heard well yes verily they have their sound went into all the earth and their words unto the ends of the world but I say this Paul continues didn't Israel know first Moses says I will provoke you to jealousy by them that are no people and by a foolish nation Will I anger you? So again, this mysterious work of God during this first fruits calling that God has now opened the door to Gentiles. And so Gentiles are now coming into Israel and preaching the gospel to the Jews. And so God is using this mechanism to provoke the Jews. This, this is your God. This is your covenant. And now I'm using Gentiles to preach your God and your covenant to you. So I will provoke you to jealousy by them that are no people. And by a foolish nation will I anger you. But Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found of them that sought me not. Speaking of the Gentiles. I was found of them that sought me not. I was made obvious unto them that asked not after me. But to Israel, he says, all day long, I have stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying people." And so remember the, the Isaiah prophecy in Isaiah six, when Isaiah actually was beginning his ministry, that he was told to preach this good news, to preach this prophecy to a people whose eyes would be closed, whose ears would be dull, whose heart would be waxed uh, fat, so that they wouldn't be able to understand. And Isaiah said, well, how long? until the city is desolate and without inhabitant that's how long these people are cursed but at the same time the gospel will be preached to them they just won't understand it and jesus christ himself quoted isaiah 6 when he was on earth when he separated his disciples and spoke to them plainly but spoke to the rest of judah in parables and so here he says all day long i've stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying people so now we come into Isaiah chapter 53 and just continuing so it really begins in Isaiah 52 13 and then we flow into 53 now this is this is what uh, Paul was quoting who has believed our report so Isaiah writes this this suffering servant comes to earth God comes to earth and people have difficulty believing this and he doesn't come to earth as this mighty king and this mighty power he comes as a suffering servant And you've got to be searching the scriptures to recognize what God is doing. And certainly in Judah, there has to be humility. Judah has to come to the scriptures saying, we're broken. We are a wicked people. We have betrayed our God. We have betrayed the covenant. And then seeking in the scriptures, how will God redeem us? But as long as Judah has this arrogance of, well, we're the chosen people. And all the Gentiles are gonna have to come to us and we don't have to do anything because well we're the chosen people then they're not going to value their Messiah and so we have to preach this gospel yes to the whole world as God instructs us but also through Isaiah what we're learning is we have to preach it specifically to Judah to Zion because of what they're going to suffer they need to know what the plan of God is so so Isaiah writes here nobody believes that God, the, God has come to earth through the suffering servant, who has believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed, that he was here on earth, and he came about to do a work. And only by God's grace can we see the arm of the Lord, that this in fact is God. And, and John actually quotes this in John 12, 38. He says, that the saying of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spoke, Lord, who has believed our report, quoting Isaiah 53, 1. And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? So we go back to Isaiah 53. For he, so, so he's going to come to earth, and, and people are going to have difficulty believing it. Why? Because he will grow up before him as a tender plant that God will come to earth, but he's gonna grow up like a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He has no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him, that he has come as a human being, he has come as an Israelite, he's come through Judah, and he's just growing up like, a, like any other Jew. And, and people are going to have difficulty wrapping their head around this, that he would come as a baby and grow up as a regular Jew. And this is God. This is the creator of the earth. And this is the love that he has for mankind and specifically the love that he has for his people Israel and specifically the covenant that he has with Judah that he is coming to redeem. And he says that he has no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and we hid as it were our faces from him now when Isaiah writes this and we go all the way back to Isaiah chapter 1 when he says this is the vision of Isaiah concerning Judah and Jerusalem that that's what this is all about Isaiah's writing about Judah and Jerusalem and so when he's writing here, that we hid, as it were, our faces from him, the we is Judah, that Judah hid its face from him. So we generally sort of generalize this and we mankind, but Isaiah said, I'm not writing about mankind. This is the vision concerning Judah and Jerusalem. And so here, when we read we, and it's said in Isaiah 9, uh, chapter 9, verse 6, when uh, for unto us a son is born. We generalize this us, mankind. God came and he's born to mankind. But Isaiah is not writing about mankind. He says he's writing about Judah and Jerusalem. So, for unto us, he was born a Jew. And so here he says, we, Judah, hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we, that is Judah, esteemed him not. We didn't see him as anything. Surely, surely he has borne our griefs whose griefs whose griefs has isaiah been writing about who is it that's going to be served the bread of affliction or the bread of adversity and the water of affliction who is it that god is punishing severely according to the covenant who is it that god is giving grief the whole thing that isaiah is writing about is the grief that god is giving to his people israel in general and Judah specifically, and Jerusalem Jerusalem, even more specifically. And so he says, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. So this is not generic. This is not God is just carrying the sorrows of all mankind. In fact, again, when we read Revelation 1 verse 7, it's very clear that when he comes, those who pierced him, that is the Jews, will acknowledge him and the rest of mankind all the tribes of the earth all the kindreds of the earth it's a sad day when christ returns it's a great day for judah when, when christ returns it's a horrible day for the rest of the world so the good news is not hey world christ, god is coming hey world bad news for you god is coming because you've gone after the beast surely He, this suffering servant, and again, how can can they say that the suffering servant is the whole nation of Israel when the whole nation of Israel needs someone to bear their griefs, and he is singular. So surely he has borne Israel's griefs and carried Israel's sorrows, and again, more specifically, Judah, and even more specifically, Jerusalem. Yet, so even though he's done this, yet we did esteem him stricken, Smitten of God and afflicted. So they're the ones that are uh, smitten and stricken and afflicted, and he's coming to relieve them of this curse. And yet they're saying he's cursed. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. And we see here uh, Paul quoting Isaiah saying that this servant Christ did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously. So this is the suffering servant and he is on a mission of redemption. And so he cannot afford to in any way sin, in any way not be that perfect sacrifice in order to redeem his people. And so it's very clear that he suffers without saying a word who his own self bear our sins and peter is speaking as a jew understanding the redemption is for israel and as gentiles are saved they are grafted into israel i cannot make this point clearly enough let us not dilute the word of god by claiming that god has a relationship with gentiles he does not that would that would be to say that god is unfaithful that while he's married to Israel, he'll also be married to another woman. This is just, this is an abomination. God is faithful. He is married exclusively to his people. And so Gentiles now have this opportunity to be grafted in to the covenant. And he divorced the northern tribes, so the covenant is only with Judah. And so even the northern tribes are considered Gentiles. And by opening this door to the Gentiles God is enabling Israelites who don't even know who they are to be grafted in and we actually notice that the majority of the Christians today uh, or sort of historically where the where the gospel has been preached from has been the Judeo-Christian nations and so here he says who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree that we so again being lifted up the same way Moses uh, lifted up the serpent in the wilderness that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness by whose stripes you were healed and and this again is quoting Isaiah that through his stripes they're healed here Isaiah 53 he says but he the servant was wounded for our transgressions this is sort of uh, self-reflexive if uh, judah is going to claim that the suffering servant is judah so judah was wounded for judah's transgressions this doesn't make any sense there is a servant that was wounded for judah's transgressions he was bruised for our iniquities and that bruised is very interesting it's the same word we see in genesis three fifteen, when god says that uh when he's handing down the sentence on the serpent that he shall crush your head but you will bruise his heel. And so he was bruised for our iniquities. He says, The chastisement of our peace was upon him. Again, reading within the context of Isaiah, looking at this through the lens of all the scriptures that have preceded it, listening very carefully to the prophet, that there is no peace for Israel. There is no peace for Judah only affliction and so the chastisement of israel's peace the chastisement of judah's peace was upon the suffering servant that without the suffering servant god's people cannot have peace only curses only affliction so the chastisement this is in a sense this is how he's the propitiation the chastisement of israel's peace of judah's peace was upon the servant and with his stripes we are healed. And I know that often we look at this just sort of uh, spiritually and see this as a healing, but in the context here, what we really need to see is there is a breach, there is a break between God and his people. And it is only through the work of this servant that that spiritual bond that has been broken through Israel's sinfulness, that that is healed through the work of the suffering servant. In Deuteronomy, here just to see this this uh, this break in the relationship. In Deuteronomy 28 and verse 15, he says, "But it shall come to pass if you will not hearken unto the voice of the Lord your God, to observe to do all His commandments and His statutes which I command you this day, that all these curses shall come upon you, and over they'll just overwhelm you. This this is the God has to keep His word." And so if they do not, they all, all that the Lord has said, we will do. And yet they didn't do it. And so they don't keep their word, or they didn't keep their word, but God, God, is, God exalts his word even above his own name. What makes God God, among other things, is his commitment and, and, and the impossibility of him to lie. That what comes out of his mouth, that, that's true. And so he says, all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. And we'll just read a few examples of them. Cursed you'll be in the city, and cursed you'll be in the field. Cursed you'll be in, in your basket and your store. Cursed shall be the fruit of your body and the fruit of your land, and the increase of your kind, and the flocks of your sheep. Cursed shall you be when you come in, and cursed you'll be when you go out. This is just curse upon you. It's gonna overwhelm you. The Lord shall send upon you cursing, vexation and rebuke in all that you set your hand unto for to do until you're destroyed and until you perish quickly because of the wickedness of your doings whereby you have forsaken me so this is Israel Israel is a people that promised God to be faithful and then they forsook him that's Israel and that's why they need a Messiah He goes on, the Lord shall make the pestilence cleave unto you until he has destroyed you from off the land. So you can't be in this holy land if you're not going to be a holy people. So he's going to do this until you've been destroyed from off the land where you go to possess it. So this land is yours, but if you're unfaithful, you can't have it. The Lord shall smite you with a disease and with a fever and with inflammation and with extreme burning and with the sword with blasting with mildew and they shall pursue you until you perish and the heaven that is over your head shall be brass so no rain at all and the earth that is under you shall be iron the lord shall make the rain of your land powder and dust From heaven shall it come down upon upon you until you are destroyed this this is the this is the breach this these are god's people he's married to his people and yet they betrayed him and so this was the agreement this this is the breach and so the atonement the atonement brings the people back so that they can be at one with god and be back in the role that he originally intended for them as a kingdom of priests But this can't happen unless there is someone who can fulfill this role that that is laid out specifically for them as the Holy One, the Holy One of Israel. That there is an Israelite who is faithful to the covenant and that is the Holy One of Israel. And because of the work of the Holy One of Israel that now Israel has a path to redemption where God can keep his word both the curses and the blessings that now if they will accept the Holy One of Israel as their Messiah having fulfilled all the terms and conditions of the covenant that now they have a path back into the land now they have a path back into the covenant with God and so this is why the feet of him who brings the gospel is just so overwhelmingly good because these people that should be cursed these people that should be destroyed there is a way of redemption for them and that way is the suffering servant who is the holy one of israel if only they will acknowledge him and god's people are a stubborn people and so god is going to get their attention in a very painful way But as we saw in Deuteronomy 30, Moses could see that a time is coming when they're going to serve God with their whole heart. And the way Moses writes in Deuteronomy 30, you can see that it's a spiritual love that they'll have for God, which Moses could therefore see the new covenant. Moses was seeing what Jeremiah saw and wrote about in Jeremiah 31, that these people are gonna know God, They're going to love God with all their heart and all their soul and all their mind. Why? Because the Holy Spirit will be in them. And so continuing now, he says, All we, like sheep, have gone astray. This does not speak of Gentiles. Gentiles are not sheep, the sheep of God. So this is speaking specifically of God's people. And and they are like sheep, and they've gone astray. All we. And again, if, if Judah will be humble and read these scriptures... Then they'll have to acknowledge they've gone astray all we like streep gone sheep have gone astray we have turned every one to his own way and the lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all and again this is not generic this is just not the iniquity of mankind this is the iniquity of those who are in covenant agreement with god who therefore deserve all these curses and god has now taken all these curses and laid them on the suffering servant and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all, the covenant people. And so Peter himself writes about this, who his own self bare our sins. Peter was a Jew. He understood. Who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes you are healed. And again, quoting Isaiah. Isaiah continues He was oppressed and he was afflicted so we should we should be the ones who are oppressed and afflicted but this servant who comes and lives perfectly follows deuteronomy perfectly he's the one that that's oppressed why why what what logic does this make well once we understand that he's taking the curses off israel as the holy one of israel he's taking the curses off israel and the blessings he's he's rightfully able to claim the blessings but he's claiming them on behalf of the people of Israel so now if Israel will accept him as our savior we can rightfully inherit the blessings he was oppressed and he was afflicted yet he opened not his mouth he was a man on a mission he came to earth on a mission and so even though he's being he's innocent he's holy he's righteous yet he's oppressed and afflicted he opened not his mouth he is brought as a lamb to the slaughter. Exactly. This is Israel's fate. His fate, his rightful fate, is to go into the promised land and to inherit all the promises. But instead of doing that, he's led as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, in the same way, he didn't open his mouth. He was a savior on a mission. He was taken from prison and from judgment and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off. So he has no he has no descendants. Again, Isaiah is writing this 800 years before Christ comes to earth. And then 800 years later, Christ comes, fulfills it all perfectly. And yet Judah is stubborn and won't acknowledge Jesus Christ as the Messiah. Who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. This is the curse that Israel deserves, to be cut off of the land of the living. And yet he came as the holy one of israel lived perfectly and yet it's the holy one that gets cut off he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people was he stricken so he lived perfectly and yet he's the one that was cut off and we just have to read uh, just a, a few scriptures here sample scriptures to see that this fate of being cut off from the land of the living that this is the fate of israel that that god did not the holy one of israel did not deserve this he says here for example in exodus 12 and in verse 15 he says seven days shall you eat unleavened bread even the first day you shall put away leaven out of your houses for whosoever eats leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day that soul shall be cut off from Israel. Well, Christ lived perfectly by the law, and yet he was cut off from Israel. In Exodus 31:14, uh, you shall keep the Sabbath therefore, for it is holy unto you. For everyone that defiles it shall surely be put to death. Christ never defiled the Sabbath, and yet he was put to death. For whosoever does any work therein, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Israel broke the Sabbath repeatedly and they deserve to be cut off from among the people and yet the holy one of israel was cut off from among his people in leviticus 7 but the soul that eats of the flesh of the sacrifice of peace offerings that pertain unto the lord having his uncleanness upon him even that soul shall be cut off from his people so very specific which soul should be cut off from his people moreover the soul that shall touch any unclean thing as the uncleanness of man or any unclean beast or any abominable unclean thing, and eat of the flesh of the sacrifice of peace offerings which pertain unto the Lord, even that soul shall be cut off from his people. And again, whatsoever soul it be that eats any manner of blood, even that soul, that soul, shall be cut off from his people. So repeatedly throughout the Torah, there are stipulations as to who should be cut off from among the people, for breaking the covenant. And yet the Holy One of Israel comes and lives perfectly by every word of God. And yet he's the one that's cut off from among the people. So very clearly we see the dynamic here that he comes and he doesn't open his mouth because he's on a mission to redeem Israel. And so by living perfectly, he now opens the pathway for God to perform the second Exodus and to gather his people from all over the world as long as they acknowledge jesus christ as their messiah back in isaiah 53 he says and he and again this is 800 years before christ comes to earth and he made his grave with the wicked he dies with the wicked this holy one of israel comes to earth and instead of being rightfully buried as one who kept the law perfectly he made his grave with the wicked And with the rich in his death because he had done no violence neither was any deceit no deceit at all in his mouth and in in the gospel according to mark here we see and with him they crucify two thieves the one on his right hand and the other on his left fulfilling isaiah 53 where he makes his grave with the wicked yet for some reason it pleased the Lord to bruise him. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. And, and people don't understand this. They read this and they think, oh, there's some sort of uh, uh, sadistic nature to God to uh, be pleased to bruise him. No, what this means is this creates the path of redemption for his covenant people, that he exalts his word even above his own name. And he cannot just make this covenant agreement with Israel and then because they break the covenant and they deserve all these curses, he can't just say, oh, well, I I know I said this, but I changed my mind. No, when God speaks, he means what he says. And so it pleases him because now the Holy One of Israel coming to earth and, and leading this perfect life that this Holy One of Israel enables a path that god can now redeem israel that there is now a rightful way that god can redeem his people and bring them back into the land lawfully and according to the covenant so it pleased the lord to bruise him he has put him to grief he has put him to grief when you shall make his soul notice this the suffering servant god will make his soul an offering for sin so somebody's sin needs to be re- atoned for so his soul that is the death of this servant will be an offering for sin he shall see his seed he shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the lord shall prosper in his hand and this this notion then that uh, the lord will bruise him this is a, a call back to genesis that we go all the way back to the sentencing of the serpent and he says, I'm gonna put hostility between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. Her seed will crush your head. It'll be a fatal blow and you shall crush his heel. So it's gonna be a painful blow, but it will not be fatal. The grave will not be able to hold him. And so the suffering servant, you know he's not only coming and fulfilling the prophecies of, of Isaiah, he's fulfilling the very first prophecy that we see in Genesis 3 that now there's a mechanism for the redemption of mankind through the Messiah through Judah through Israel ultimately to all the nations of the earth he says he shall see of the tr- the work or the torture the pain of his soul uh, he shall see of the travail uh, the, the suffering of his soul and shall be satisfied that that the, the, the conditions of the Covenant will be satisfied by his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many and again if we are trying to say that the righteous servant is judah and the righteous servant is going to justify judah this doesn't make any sense that there's a singular soul there's a singular individual who is righteous the holy one of israel and he is going to justify many for he shall bear their iniquities therefore so he's going to this is the atonement therefore will i divide him a portion with the great and he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he has poured out his soul unto death and he was numbered with the transgressors and he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors and we see this here in mark 15 28 the scripture was fulfilled which said he was numbered with the transgressors it's just a perfect fulfillment of Isaiah 53 here in Acts 8 he says the place of the scripture acts 8:32, which he read was this he was led as a sheep to the slaughter and like a lamb dumb before his shearer so opened he not his mouth in his humiliation his judgment was taken away and who shall declare his generation for his life is taken from the earth and that's exactly Jesus Christ fulfilled that he had no progeny he had no no descendants because his life was cut short and then finally we see in hebrews uh, we know that christ uh, as we study hebrews and we did study before if you missed it it's in our archives please uh, study uh, the book of hebrews to understand this powerful role that jesus christ came to fulfill as the melchizedekian high priest that that he came to fulfill this high priest office so that he can now make his blood an atonement for the nation as a high priest but not a levitical high priest but a melchizedekian a high priest of the melchizedekian order so christ was once offered to bear the sins of many exactly what we read in isaiah he was offered once to bear the sins of many and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation so i want to stop there before i get into daniel we want to actually come back to daniel from the um uh, Q&A not last week but uh, a couple of weeks ago so I'll just get on to our conference call where I hope my brothers are, are waiting and uh, so that's Isaiah 53 hopefully it's starting to come uh, a bit clearer uh, and again we have to read Isaiah 53 in the context we started second Isaiah uh, chapter 40 so don't just read chapter 53 uh, by itself it's like reading John 3:16 by itself let's start at chapter 40 And just read the whole from 40 to 66 and read the whole uh passage as one unit of thought one stream of thought so that we understand what isaiah 53 is doing in the context of all of second isaiah so let's um see if we can have our brothers on the line here Uh, so hopefully uh, that was great, and, and please uh, prepare your questions, and we shall um, uh, go over them. I, I think we, there was uh, an un, to the, Zoom. I think there was an unanswered Enter question. Welcome to Zoom. Enter your
1: meeting ID followed by Sorry. pound.
0: There was an unanswered question um, with respect to Daniel, so I think we'll be able to cover that first. So let's uh, get our brothers on the line here. Enter
1: your participant ID followed by pound. Otherwise, just press pound to continue. You are in the meeting now. There are three participants in the meeting.
0: Brothers Murray and Bill, are you there? We're here. Wonderful. Hello, how are you? Good, good. How about you? That's good. Great, great. So thanks very much for uh, joining us and I know that we had some questions uh, from last time and maybe even from this uh, week as well. So, we will just, uh, maybe, I don't know if you, either of you kind of wanted to kick things off and just uh, open up with a sure. couple of words.
1: Yeah, it's Murray here, and welcome. Uh, uh, great to have Bill along as well. Great. Uh, to kick things off, we did have a, um, a question from Brother Ray. Uh, we sort of touched on this, in fact, we did touch on it uh, two weeks ago, I believe, but just to follow up on the three and a half years out of Daniel 12, um, so this question here, is uh, the way he understands it, the tribulation will last 1,335 days, which doesn't add up to three and a half years, which he thought it would last. Um, And again, we also thought that it would be just a short time. That was part of our discussion last time. Follow-up comment was, in the grand scheme of life, that is a short time. Do we think that people going through this were considered a short time? And he also wants an explanation of the extra 75 days. So um, maybe that... That off for for Bill to make some comments on.
2: Yeah, I, uh, good evening uh, everybody, and uh, um, uh, Adrian. Very very good Bible study. Listen to the whole thing it was very uh, very well done. I enjoyed it uh, quite a bit. A lot of lot of stuff there to unpack in Isaiah 52 and 53 for sure. It really is. Um, yeah, I uh, I I think it's important for us to recognize that the extra 75 days is. Outside of the 42 months. Let me uh, just mention something here in Daniel chapter 12 and verse uh, 7. Uh, we're, we're laid out here with this angel talking to uh, Daniel, actually, a couple of them. And the one finally says that uh, the question is up in verse 6. How long shall it be to the end of these wonders? And the end of the wonders actually go all the way back through uh, connecting up, as I mentioned, I think, before the last time we talked, into chapters 10 and 11, and, of course, through uh, chapters 12 and verse 4. So a lot of this was uh, kind of a summation of, well, you know, how long is it going to be for all these things to occur in all these latter-day events? and the angel kind of summarizes it here in verse 7 where he says it shall be for a time uh, times and a half a time and he goes on uh, and when he shall accomplish to scatter the power of the holy people all these things shall be finished now this right here is as we understand and I want to illustrate this if I can just take a few minutes to do this to build a case Uh, of where this is actually the three-and-a-half years, or the 1,260 days. Now, as the um, individual Ray who mentioned in his question about the 75 days, that actually comes into play in the 1290, verse 11, and in verse 12, the 1,335. But I'm going to put that off to the side for a moment. I want to go back to this verse 7, this time, times, and a half a time. If we go and connect this with Daniel 7 and the vision, and I don't have a lot of time to go into a lot of detail, but I'll just cut to the chase here, where in discussing the details of the fourth beast in verse 23 of chapter 7 in the book of Daniel, we find that this fourth beast is going to devour the whole earth. In summary there, verse 23, verse 24, it's profiled with ten horns uh and ten which are ten kings, and uh another that shall rise out of them and he shall be diverse from the first. I'm I'm not going to get into the subduing of three kings and all that. I just want to go to this verse twenty five, and here's the point that I want to make. He says here, he shall speak great words against the most high. This is verse twenty five, chapter seven, Book of Daniel, and shall wear out the saints, this beast I think you even referenced it, uh, Adrian, in your presentation there, that the world at this time, when Jesus comes back, is going to be marked. A lot of people are going to be marked, they will have received that mark. The world is not going to be welcoming the return of Jesus Christ, that's for sure. Those people who are of the physical tribes of Israel and Judah at that time will be happy, because as we understand in Jeremiah chapter 30, they are released out of captivity at this time. But that's another story, and I digress point here is, in this case, uh, we see here that they are going to be persecuted and worn out until uh, the Most High, and thinks to change times and laws, that is the beast, and they shall be given into his hands until, and here it is again, a time, times, and a dividing of times. Now, quickly, we go to Revelation, and I know I'm taking a little bit of extra time here, but I just... I wanted to kind of draw some context or uh, inject some context in this. We see Chapter 13 of the Book of Revelation, and we see again the beast, and this actually correlates with Daniel 7 very clearly. It's in reverse in terms of the listing of the animals, but nevertheless, the point is made, and the principle, I think, stands in that this is the same system that is found in Daniel 7 some many hundreds of years before. And here again, we see in chapter 13, verse 5, that uh, this beast that is described as a leopard and a bear and a lion, and we understand that description over there in Daniel 7 as well. But here again, in verse 5, we see the correlation. And there was given unto him a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies. That's this beast, described as a leopard, a bear, and a lion. And power was given unto him to continue 42 months, or a time, times and a half. Now, here's your 42 months, that if you divide it by 30 uh, days, 12 months on 30 days, and you get three and a half years. Now, here is the time sequence that's very interesting, and it connects up with the two witnesses, because believe it or not, the two witnesses come on the scene in chapter 11 of the book of Revelation. And these guys prophesy in verse 2, we understand, for also 40. Two months so we have in parallel here a beast that lasts and persecutes the Saints wears them out we're told over there in Daniel uh, for time times and a half here we're told it and described as at time times and a half as described as 42 months which again is 1260 days as we see in Daniel 12 verse 7 so here we see this definition of the tribulation being inserted into a relationship with the two witnesses, that then when we follow through their timeline in chapter 11, we find that they are killed, and in verse 14, we find the second woe is past. Their death and actual physical, not spiritual, physical, resurrection as elijah was taken away so these two guys after three and a half days in the streets being dead they rise up and are transported to out of the playing field as elijah was who wrote letters by the way some years later but people oftentimes ignore that nevertheless these two guys are physically transported out of the playing field they're they're done with their ministry and now for all intents and purposes we see here the second woe is passed A third woe comes quickly, and this seventh angel is basically the seventh trumpet, because we know the last three trumpets are the last three woes, with the sixth trumpet being the second woe marked by the death of the two witnesses. So here we have the end, or the beginning of the end, of this three-and-a-half-year period defined as the worst time that ever, and if it wasn't shut down short, that no flesh would remain alive. And then thereafter, we see the seventh trumpet described uh, here as uh, the nations being uh, given over to God, the prophets and the rewards of the servants of the saints to be given out and so on, and then we have the uh, timeline here, the sequence broken up. But something happened after and during that seventh trumpet that is blown, and therein lies the land or the area of this uh, 1290 days and 1335 days, which are really benchmark time periods after this, what you could say, great time is uh, concluded in some respect, but then is extended in some fashion of another 30 days it takes us to 1290 and then another, what is it, 45 days uh, to 1335. It's not real clear on just exactly what's going to happen in those extra 30 and then that extra 45-day extension. But the fact of it is, we know if we make it to that point, we are a blessed people because as pointed out over here in uh, Daniel chapter 12 and in verse uh, as we go here toward the end in verse um, 11 and from the time that the daily sacrifice shall be taken away and the abomination that makes desolate set up there shall be a thousand two hundred and ninety days and blessed is he that waits and comes to the 1,335 days. And I'm not going to go on with the uh, abomination of desolation. That, that is a, another discussion for perhaps another time. But obviously that plays into this whole event, and of which we'll go into more detail as I get into the book of Daniel, which I'm going through right now uh, up to already chapter 7, hoping to finish it in the next uh, few months. Before I close though, I just wanted to make mention also in addition to your Isaiah presentation. I know this is a little off the subject from Daniel here, but I just wanted to go back to just mention that the interplay of the Jews relationship with the Gentiles and how Paul was articulating in the book of Romans uh to essentially address that distinction and controversy and attempt to uh, to explain now this new integration of which the Gentiles now can become uh, grafted in, as you were portraying in the book of Isaiah, uh, is quite detailed in the Bible study that's listed in our CGI org location under Bible studies, under the book of Romans, of which right. I did a couple uh, about a year ago or so. Right, and you did the I whole book. Mention, the that whole that book. Of, a, yes, an enhancement to uh, what you were talking about with Romans.
0: Yeah, so very good. So everybody should know that uh, Pastor Bill did a whole study on and the book of Romans is such a rich book doctrinally. Uh, and and again a line oh, by well, line study. Yeah, so that's great. Great that you mentioned that.
2: Sorry I took so long on that, but I uh, Yeah, but this, this is a big sub with uh, the 1260, 90, and 1335 days.
0: It is, and I uh, appreciate that, and we look forward to uh, when you complete the book of Daniel. Um, uh, Pastor Murray, I wonder if you had any thoughts or comments uh, as well, and also I did see a question here uh, on Facebook, which I'll, I'll tee up, but uh, Pastor Murray, did you have any, any thoughts or comments that you wanted to add?
1: Uh, no, I think uh, from that, that question, I think Bill covered uh, uh, the, the gamut of it. It's, it's just very, uh, it's always inspiring that uh, the Bible seems to answer itself, and what Isaiah talks about, what Daniel talks about, what Christ reveals through John, is very consistent once we unpack it all. So Great. Um, it's just uh, fascinating the more we dig down to, to see that uh, play out.
0: And I'm just seeing a, a question here, brother, saying uh, from Christy, saying that uh, this time, could it, could it be a training period for the saints, perhaps? Uh, so, so, uh, Bill, I wonder if you would maybe would comment on that, that, that three-and-a-half-year period, I think, is what Sister Christie's asking, if that is also a time oh, of yeah. training uh, for the saints.
2: It, yeah, I think uh, without without uh, a doubt, it is definitely the whole period, including the 12, uh, 1290 and the 1335 days, The whole the whole period of, let's just say, 1335 days is going to be a tremendous learning, and I'm going to use the word opportunity. <laughs> yes. I mean we can I suppose say challenge because it will be challenging. Yes indeed. But it is an opportunity for all of us to go through that as we become more critically vetted by God through mm-hmm. the and temptations that yes. we're going to be contending with through all of that conflict uh and horrific conditions. I mean when you start getting into the details of some of the descriptions of what is going to occur after you get into the um, Trump I mean the seals are bad enough and um, they themselves present quite a quite a um, a list of events that are going to be very trying on Christians but once the trumpets begin to open up that's when things really begin uh, to uh, tighten up and and uh, really get very serious and in all due respect I'm just grateful that it will only last that intensity at least according to Scripture anyway at the most 1260 days but we know too that maybe those times will be shortened yes Uh, so we have got to keep that in mind as well
0: And I think it's uh, so important for us to have this big vision in mind as to what God is doing and what we're a part of because I think if we lose the vision uh, we're gonna fail the test I think the way to get through all of this is just to be so fixated on the kingdom of God
1: and and
2: and i think in due respect to the 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 question that uh, Christy was asking is one of the biggest lessons we've got to learn is not to fear death exactly. we've got to begin to develop i don't want to sound morbid nor macabre yes. but we've got to develop a relationship with death that we really don't care about it uh my daughter always had a nice quip about death she says you know dad i, I don't really care about i am really not concerned about dying it's how i'm going yeah. to die well i get that <laughs> you know the distinction because yes. uh, i think we all would like to die perhaps if we had a choice just in our sleep just not wake up we yeah, wake up yeah. in the resurrection but the reality of it is we've got to overcome this fear of this bondage to death exactly. once we are able to do that you know what we can be fearless
0: and i'm just putting up a scripture now bill matthew 10:28, where christ himself says to us fear not them which kill the body but are not able to kill the soul but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in in Hades so uh, in in Ge- yeah, Ge- yeah so this is a, you're, what you're saying is exactly what Jesus Christ told us that we must not be fearful of death and yet we are this is sort of the the natural man uh, and we are bound by the devil uh, and the devil's guiles because he, he intimidates us with fear
2: and i think it's a very important that we uh... you know during those times if if we should be so um fortunate i will say fortunate because uh, uh... i think there would be a lot to learn through those events that if indeed god gives us protection because he does promise protection uh... but for those who are going to be protected you can best believe he's going to have expectations on us and he doesn't want us just to crouch in fear not doing anything during those times. If we're protected, we're protected, and we ought to keep this in mind, to be servants, exactly. regardless of the negative circumstances we find ourselves contending with and being surrounded by.
0: And I know, uh, Pastor Murray, as you do your counseling for baptism, uh, you're often very much counseling brethren uh, as they're coming into this covenant on, on the importance of being a servant to God no matter what.
1: Absolutely, absolutely, and I think uh, Bringing out this this not being afraid of death is really important. That, that Bill brought that out on the heels of this discussion of being protected and being in training, uh, because too often, uh, too often, what is what can be taught is the fact that we'll be whisked away privately to be nice and, and protected, and everything will be nice and hunky dory. Uh, but that that doesn't seem to be the way it's going to go. Uh, obviously, God can protect us however He wants to. Uh, but there's much more training uh, that, we, that we and I think both of you have given uh, public uh, messages about this uh, here in the Toronto area previously. Um, uh, so it, it doesn't necessarily mean that this training will be done uh, off in some private location where we can't be touched. Uh, that's something to, to definitely right. keep in mind.
0: But I do think that, uh, you know, in the Western world, we've had such a wonderful time for decades and decades and decades as Christians. Um, and I think it's hard for us to see a time in the West when being a Christian will not be easy. And, and I think we're beginning to see shifts. Uh, I listened very intently, uh, Pastor Bill, to your president, uh, President Trump, uh, the State of the Union address. And I, I think he did well. I think that, um, uh, in fact, I think the speech was quite remarkable. Um, but we know that this nation, it's going to be the time of Jacob's trouble. And, and when America falls, the whole world, the whole landscape of the world is going to change dramatically. Um, I wonder if you have any thoughts or comments on, on sort of the the, the the life of a Christian in the West and maybe what you see in, in the, in the near or, or or far future.
2: Are you talking to me or Murray?
0: Uh, I was talking uh, to you, Bill, as an American. But Murray and I are Canadian. We're kind of just watching on the outside. Yeah. But, uh, you know, America, America is the superpower of the world like it or not.
2: Yeah, I, and I get that, uh, and certainly uh, Canada, though, is a, um, a very good ally in that regard, being that uh, at least we're somewhat like uh, kinfolk to a certain degree. But uh, to your point, yeah, once the United States is taken off the playing field of the um, balance of power and it no longer can play that role, we're going to find a world that is going to be, as you rightly said very different uh, matter of fact i think it's fair to say that as jesus pointed out in luke it will be a time of the gentiles because there will no longer be the uh... what you could say birthrighted nations acting uh... as and leveraging their influence power and wealth to become the balance of power they've been for now almost uh, you could make the case at least four to five hundred years i mean all we've known as far as we're concerned, is the fact that America, the British Commonwealth, and the wealth, the wealth of all of those nations associated with the technology and development of armament, as well as technology, has been experienced by us and consequently contributed to a very soft, I believe, uh, society where, in many cases, the word snowflake uh, does indeed uh, describe and, and profile, I think, a lot of a lot of people and sadly if we as Christians are uh, in that softer motif uh, we need to realize that what's coming at us is a big freight train or a big very bad storm and we need to really toughen up and if there's ever a time to make sure our relationship with Jesus Christ is strong and healthy Amen. it's now That's because right. uh, during this time To be able to build faith and to build strength is a good time to do, because when all of the hail is in the air, so to speak, we're not going to really have a whole lot of time anymore to prepare. The expectation is you should be prepared. Exactly right.
0: Exactly right. Right on. Um, And and I think there's no sort of last-minute preparation here. We're either prepared or we're not when the moment comes. Um, Pastor Murray, I think you said uh, there was a question there.
1: Yeah, there's another question here, and I think it really dovetails into what you're talking about here, because you're talking about the relationship that we have with Christ. In addition to that, and as you've rightly pointed out many times, uh, our relationship with each other uh, while we're going through this uh, as part of the body of Christ would be equally important, uh, and this is where we'll get into the, we may see the, the betrayal uh, of each other for those who, who aren't strong enough, for those who are or perhaps uh, failing the test, but the question sort of dovetails sort of off of what we've been talking about, and that is could this be the separating of the wheat and the tares through this this uh, time period?
0: Sir, can you can you ask that again?
1: Could this be the separating of the wheat and the ah, tares during ah. this this tough time period?
0: I wonder if you had any thoughts or comments on that, Murray, and then see what what Bill's thoughts are.
1: It certainly it certainly as as I had just uh, just mentioned over the last uh, minute or so, it certainly seems like that that would be part of the, the separating of the wheat and the tares uh again as as we've uh, gone through the scriptures in matthew 24 and seen uh and other places that talk about the, the betrayal uh betraying each other and bill here talking about this this time of, of uh, training that we'll be going through not necessarily uh whisked off to some private island or, or a private location to be trained but to be to be trained uh right while we're going through through the tough times um this is when we will likely see um the weak uh, succumbing to to protecting this life rather than having their vision on the kingdom, and uh, definitely, definitely, that would be a separation for sure. I believe. And I
0: and, yeah, and, and I well, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to ask you. Yeah, uh, I was just. <laughs> go ahead, Bill.
2: Yeah, I was just going to support what Murray was saying because I the results of events and circumstances that are portrayed. And described uh, in the trumpet plagues and so on, uh, the seals. Uh, you're you're bound to have separation of those that are really not committed uh, with those that are truly committed.
0: Yeah, I wonder. Um, to, to what extent does that uh, affect, or how does it shape your uh, ministry as you are uh, ministering to brethren, and you have this kind of Bird's eye view of the future, which they may not necessarily have. Uh, some are, you know, young in Christ and they don't see this, but you see it. Um, does it does it affect how you minister, how you preach, how you counsel?
2: Absolutely, I, I, I it, it has to. Uh, but I think the key word here is balance, because there is a value in balancing presentations, and of course counseling oftentimes is dictated by virtue of the issue you might be facing with an individual, so generally those uh, situations are dictated by people's problems, their lifestyle, and all that. But in preaching and choosing uh, topics for writing and uh, topics of uh, expounding, we certainly as pastors in this modern 21st century uh, have choices to make and I think the key is balance we need to have a balanced uh, diet of feeding the Brethren feeding the public depending on our roles and what we're doing whether we're nurturing the church or we're out there evangelizing to make sure that many of the bases are covered for instance prayer meditation Bible study fasting these are basics that are important in the preparation Uh, of a christian's mentality, his emotional condition and of course his spirituality. Uh, By the same token it needs to be salt and peppered with Mm -hmm. prophetic uh, speak so that it's uh, generating a sense of urgency on people and so they're motivated and and compelled to make Christ more a part of their lives. And also Uh, perhaps Bill, if I
0: could just interject there, also not getting caught up in pettiness. So many brethren I think Get distracted by petty pettiness, petty concerns, petty conflicts. Where I think if we can just yes. paint this bigger picture, they they'll not get seduced Absolutely. by pettiness.
2: Right. Yeah. No. I, I would agree. And and uh, speaking on the bigger picture, of course, is part of that balance.
0: Yes. Uh, uh, Pastor Murray, thoughts?
1: Yeah. For, uh, certainly, that's uh, um, as we talked about the the uh, the body of Christ working together. It's a, it's a good example and need for the ministry to work together uh, to in the preparation of diet and the preparation of, of our messages, both internally and externally. And that: pl- and,
0: um, That plurality of eldership as painful. well, where certainly you and I, we, we are complementary in our ministry, and we get the, this privilege of working together. Um, and I think that's uh, if CGI, I think, understands this, uh, or we're trying to, that there's a plurality uh, in eldership. And we're, we're not all gifted in one particular way. Uh, we're gifted in different ways. And, and together as a body, we're able to provide that balanced uh, diet that, that Bill just spoke of eloquently.
2: Yeah. And, and, for sure. and that's the key, the gifts that we have, uh, being able to identify them and then provide each other opportunities to express those gifts uh... so that uh... the overall body can be complemented and the people become the beneficiaries of uh, the enhancing information that's disseminated uh... by the shared gifts of of each of us
0: and then i think as well the people see christ as they see the combination of gifts coming together and complementing rather than looking to a a man looking to a person and i think this is where a lot of ministries a lot of churches uh... have really failed their people by getting their people to look to a man rather than look to Christ as their shepherd
1: oh yeah absolutely it's the message not the messenger exactly it's the exactly
2: it's the word of God For
1: sure for sure Very good. It, it also eases up it strikes me here as we're talking about this that not only do the brethren well obviously the brethren are benefited by this it also eases up the pressure on the the eldership that I don't need to be everything exactly to everybody. I can serve where I'm gifted and trust that that there are others serving where they're gifted to fill in the where I, where, I, where I'm
0: lacking. Right, and we can lean on each
2: other. <laughs> exactly, exactly.
0: Very good, very good. Well, it's uh, we're just coming up on nine o'clock now, and I really do. Speaking of uh, sharing the load, I really do appreciate you as my brothers uh, coming in with the Bible study and helping me answer these questions that come in. And we really do welcome the questions. I think it's uh, I have seen again. I don't want to makes such a big distinction but it does concern me when i see ministries where they don't accept questions from brethren and you know we just tell you what's what and we don't want any questions uh again it's the word of god that matters and we're just here to help brethren dig into and digest the word of god and so we welcome questions to help us dig in further and, and digest it further and i certainly appreciate uh your presence and your assistance my brother's
2: uh, amen to that. That we—that's the way we learn together because uh, it's good to know what's on the mind of the uh, of the people, yeah, so yeah. that we can address the issues.
0: Yeah, and so uh, and I again, just—it's
2: a privilege to
1: serve together.
0: Uh, amen. So just it makes remind more relevant. Exactly, and and keeps us on our toes as well. Uh, so just remind uh, everyone that uh, we do have uh, both the Book of Hebrews and the Book of Romans in the archives, and I think it's so important to weave these different books together and weave the work of the different prophets and apostles uh, together and not just you know read in isolation that the bible tells one story and it's just a wonderful tapestry when we can weave it all together so going back into the archives and tying you know what what paul was explaining with the natural born israelites and jews and how they relate to the gentiles uh, there's a rich explanation in the book of romans and romans 9 to 11 Uh, I think you could if we can do the whole book, but at least jumping into Romans 9 to 11 in Bill's study uh, would be great in understanding what Isaiah is now pointing us to. So with that, my brothers, I thank you and thank everybody for joining us tonight. And uh, God willing, we'll be in Isaiah chapter 54 next week. And please, you know, as you're going through these studies and you have questions, please share them with us. And we're happy to answer those questions. Jesus Christ, what a mighty God we serve. Amen. Look forward to uh, speaking next week. God bless. Good night. Good night. night. Thanks a lot. Take care.